Hello and welcome to the Criterion Quest, a continuing podcast series looking at important films and contemporary classics. My name is Chris and I'm joined as always by my wonderful co-host Lee. And uh, we've uh, we've got an interesting one. I say that a lot. I, I can't think of a better way to introduce these films that, other than to say it's an interesting one. Yeah. <laughs> we've uh, got a... It's, a, again, another first for Lee. It's your first Renoir. I know. First one. But uh, before we jump into that, uh, how about we talk about uh, last last episode, Tout va bien. Yes. What yes. would you like to talk about? Well, uh, we got a little bit of feedback. Uh, oh, some, some listener yes. comments as well, because... It was. It's an interesting film, and you know, I went on record saying that I am not a big fan of Godard, and mm. you were having your, you know, <laughs> recording that episode. <laughs> you as well were like, this guy's kind of pretentious. Yes. <laughs> so uh, we got some uh, listener emails and things which I I wanted to kind of shout out. Um, <laughs> uh, one, a Captain Internationalist has said that Godard and myself have a love hate relationship for decades. I must admit that it's not as much love. <laughs> For those of you who love Goddard, more power to you. Uh, but he thinks he's one of the most overrated directors of all time. I love that. Yeah. Followed up by our Brian Bell, a long-time listener, has also said, uh, Tout va bien was also my first Goddard film. Uh, and I thought it was so awful, <laughs> I refused to see another for several years. <laughs> Amen. Uh, he said, I'm not a big Goddard fan and wondered if I should give it another shot, but you have saved me the time and effort. <laughs> You're uh, welcome. Yeah, and then all, help. Yeah, and Captain Internationalist also sent in, uh, he, was, he re-watched Tout Fabienne for the epi- uh, to listen to the episode, but then he also was looking through Letterboxd and found what he'd said was the ultimate Letterboxd review. Uh, this, is, this is in quotations. God knows how Goddard has lived so long with his head planted so far up his own ass. <laughs> Bravo on finding oh. that letterboxed review. That was absolutely perfect. <laughs> that makes me feel better about the last review. Yeah, exactly. I don't like to poo-poo on directors, especially if it's, you know, my first time watching their films or, you know, I don't want to be a philistine, but yeah. It's also the thing of, like, art is fully subjective. Like, you know, you might not like something and someone else might love it. Like, yes. you know, our Magic Flute episode, yes. <laughs> the case in point. Like, yes. you know, it, it, it's to each their own. So you feel bad when you shit on something and you don't like it, but it, you try and do that. Well, you know, it's fine. Yeah. But yeah. If, but, if the listeners haven't worked out yet, if Chris says something, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. That, that's, that's just me being like, it's, yeah. That's me trying to be nice and not shit it's, on yeah, something. Yeah, it's pretty much it. Yeah. But, uh, That's wonderful. We love the comments. Please send more because that just made me laugh so much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we love hearing from you guys, so uh, thank you for sending those in. Um, but I guess do we jump jump into this week's film? Yes. The River from 1951. Uh, as Criterion says, director Jean Renoir's entrancing first colour feature, shot entirely on location in India, is a visual tour de force. Based on the novel by Ruma Godden, the film eloquently contrasts the growing pains of three young women with the immutability of the Bengal River around which their daily lives unfold. Enriched by Renoir's subtle understanding and appreciation for India and its people, the river gracefully explores the fragile connections between transitory emotions and everlasting creation. 
Wow. Okay. That's deep. Yeah. That's, then it, that's beautiful. That's a, probably the best little synopsis of a film I've ever read. It's a pretty damn good one. Yeah. Well done, Criterion. And then yeah. they've got the whole thing about how the Academy and, you know, Hollywood Foreign Press and, and BFI helped restore the film, and it's considered, like, a major classic, so... I've got to just jump straight in and say I really like this movie. Nice. Yeah, I, I had a feeling you might. Yes. Me- and I'm really glad because, mm. I've got to be honest, the last few films I've been like, <laughs> oh, yeah. That was fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah I, I was a little bit cautious. Like, I, for a while I'd been saying, you know, we got to run and that's a you know, bit tough and bad thing. You know, I haven't seen them. They sound a bit, uh, but I know after this we got some great stuff coming up. I wasn't sure whether to include this one or not because yeah. knowing it, having seen quite a few Renoirs and in particular the ones we did recently for the stage and spectacle box set that were just... Ugh, <laughs> to get through. Um, but also then knowing things like, you know, Grand Illusion, Rules of the Game, and some, some of that more classic stuff, I had a feeling this was going to be, and the fact that it was in colour, I'm like, I, I think this is going to be like a Powell and Pressburger film. This is going to be kind of like Red Shoesy, kind of, yes. in that realm. And I remember when we first started watching and the father came onto the um, scene. So it opens with what would we say, five children, four of them little girls or young women, yep. and then one of the youngest son named Bogey, best name ever. Yeah. Um, and we open with them. They're living in a big house in India. and On the Bengal River. On the Bengal River. And we see the dad walks in and starts talking. And when you mentioned the red shoes, I'm like, I know this guy from somewhere. Where do I know this guy from? And then you looked it up and you said the red shoes. And Yeah. It so, is uh, Esmond Knight is the actor. Yeah. Yeah. I love how they include his bung eye as part of the story. Well, I mean, it, it's kind of hard to work around. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, you know, but yes, it adds the flavour. And it's that thing of, I mean, obviously we're here po- like post-war and things, so it makes sense that... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, and uh, that I, I think that instantly gave me a good feeling. I was like, this is going to be good. Yeah, this, this is going to be that type of film that... And in particular, I think as well you said, like, is this going to be Little Women in India? Yes, because yes, it's... We start off innocent and the girls are playing and enjoying their life and free from sort of uh, the problems of being an adult or love or anything like that. They're just playing and being innocent. And I'm Mm. like, this is going to be Little Women in India. Yeah. (laughs) In particular, having that uh, Harriet with the narration and things about like, there was me and my sisters. Yes, yes. (laughs) And And she's not the oldest. She's the second. Oh, no. No, she's the oldest, but then we've got... Vivian's the next door neighbour. Valerie, Valerie. Valerie, sorry. Yeah. And then, yeah, you've got... The film kind of then mainly shifts focus away from the family. You think it's going to be about the family unit and all of that, but it ends up shifting away and focusing on, yeah, Harriet, our protagonist, and then two other girls that are sort of closer to her in age that end up kind of becoming rivals for the affection of Captain John. Yes, Captain John, the uh, American... Uh, na- the neighbour's American cousin comes along and yes. he's a strapping... I wouldn't even say young man. I think he's meant to be a young man, but he certainly doesn't look like a young man. And would you would you call him strapping? Cause... Well, I think that's what they're trying to achieve. Yeah. I personally thought he was a creep. Yes. But um, the girls don't. So we've got Melanie, who is the next-door neighbour, whose mother is Indian, father is English, so she... She's she's probably my favourite character. Yeah, very. I totally one hundred percent agree with that. She she has just returned from a, a Western or an English 
schooling, mm-hmm. boarding schooling. Do they say nunnery? I don't know. With the, I don't know. Mm. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so she comes home to her English dad and the girls, and the other neighbour, Val, uh, Val, Valerie, yes, and um, Harriet, they're all really good friends. And then... Uh, we have uh, Captain John join the girls, <laughs> who, yes, is meant to be strapping and has lost his leg in World War Two, and all the girls are fighting for his affection. What I find interesting is because I don't, like you'd mentioned this while we were watching the film, like, and I kind of alluded, like, I don't, he's not an attractive person. I mean, subject, like, you know, looks... Inside or out. That's what I'm meaning. Like, when I say that, I'm not necessarily meaning that he looks like if Sam Rockwell and Clint Howard had a baby. Ooh. By the way, I'm just going to show you, that's Clint Howard. (laughs) (laughs) For those of you who don't know who Clint Howard is, he is Ron Howard's brother, and just Google image search him. He's in in every every Ron Howard movie, and he's, yeah... He, he, Captain John looks like if Sam Rockwell and him had a baby. Yes, and there was another guy that you put a picture up. Oh, Toby Jones, the English actor as well, a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's that thing. Of, I find him to be an unappealing person inside and out, and mainly in the way that he he interacts with the girls. And it's like, yes, we understand that Valerie and Melanie are like, um, you know, 17-ish, we'll say. And then Harriet is a little bit younger. She's about 15. And it's like, yes, of course, like, you know, and this guy's in his early 20s, we'll say. Um, And, you know, so it's that thing of, oh, yes, I understand that, you know, I'm a lot older, but these girls are doting on me and falling in love with blah, blah, blah. But he is so fucking condescending to them that... And creepy, and the way, and there's a great line. I think Harriet even says, like, says later on in the film in the voiceover. It's like trying to learn my way around his ineffect, like not his ineffections, but it's like his um, oh, what's the word she turn of phrase she uses? But his his disinterest and his apathy, where he yes. just seems to not give a shit about anyone or anything. He's so just like smug mm. and just like. Yeah, whatever. Mm. Fine, cool, yeah. And depending on who's in front of him is who has his attention and affection, and he switches between the three girls too freely. Yeah, and unknowingly affecting them. Yeah. Or or at least knowing in a degree that he's like, well, I'm... I got nothing else to do, so I might as well have fun with this to some degree. I mean, I might be reading into it quite a bit there. What upset me was the mother of the girls, or one of the girls, Harriet's Mm. mother, um, saying, oh, but this is good for Captain John. You know, he's he's had it a bit tough. This is pretty good, you know. So we should probably sleep with our underage Yeah, (laughs) like the girls, yes, they're all miserable and in love, but, you know, this is, you know, it's probably pretty good for him, you know. Uh, Did she mean that as, like, it's a change of pace from, like, you know, losing a leg in the war to be like... Oh, here's a couple of young girls on after yeah, you. Like, here's some distraction. Either that or is it like forcing him to actually grow up and take a responsibility or a stance on something? Is that yeah, maybe what she's getting at? I don't know. I don't know. Um, but like wrapping it back around, that's why I think I like Melanie so much as a character because unlike um, Harriet and Valerie, she actually understands the weight and the value of the affection and so she's not going to buy into it, mm. which makes her actually have agency to some degree and makes you be like, oh, I got you now. And I think because of that as well is what makes Captain John kind of go after her a little bit stronger than the others because it's that thing of, 
it, it, she's like a cat, like, you know, not paying the attention, but yeah, no, but I want the attention now, yes. like thing. Yes. More challenging, more interesting. Yeah. Speaking about cats, something that really upsets me is he calls all the girls little kittens. Yeah. Hi, little kitten. Mm. Let's dance, little kitten. You know, the thing about little kittens, they grow into cats. Yeah. Uh, yeah, your eyes. <laughs> your eyes are like, what does he say? Your eyes are like demon eyes. They're like cat's eyes. And like, oh. Creepy. So gross. <laughs> Don't mind me. My teeth are too big to fit in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being mean. Yes. But... <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. It, Apart from that, obviously that's what we got from it. It's not what was meant by it. No, it is, again, like we, you know, obviously uh, this film is 70 years old. Yes. <laughs> like... And things that are said in the film are definitely not acceptable today. And... Um, that is not what the film's trying to portray. It's he's meant to be this stud that the girls love. But I do find it interesting, though. You, you watching it, you did point out like, is the fact that these girls are all going after this one guy a matter of geography? Yeah, <laughs> like he's the only guy around that isn't a relative yeah. or a you know. Technically, he is Melanie's relative. Yeah, yeah, which is kind of gross. They're cousins. Yeah. yeah. Oh, but that was acceptable back then. Yeah, like I Rudy, guess so. Rudy Giuliani married his cousin, so <laughs> and he's a pillar of an example of humanity. <laughs> um, yeah, I think so. You've got all these young women uh, coming of age. Um, what does the mother say? Their bodies are changing, getting ready for childbirth. Oh, yeah. Do we want to? While we're addressing yes. things that haven't aged well, like, do we want to just? nip all of these things in the bud and discuss that that really fucking gnarly scene with the mother. So, um, Harriet uh, is really upset because Valerie and Captain John have been getting close. I'm not sure what's happened at this point, but it's she's watching Valerie and Captain John get pretty snuggly. And I'm pretty sure it's the scene that follows after um, Valerie, like, reading out her, from her journal in front of Captain John. That's right. That's fucked. Yeah. Anyway. But, um, but again, you, you have to remember, oh yeah, they're teenagers. That's it. it, it in, Valerie's a tough one because she kind of looks mid mid to late 20s. Yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah. But then she goes to her mother and she falls on her lap and she's so sad. And her mother says, it's okay. You're, you're changing. Your body is changing. Uh, women's bodies are meant to their meaning, the meaning of a woman is to have babies. For, uh, for specifically for their husbands. Ah, uh, yeah. Not for themselves. No. For, for their, their husbands. husbands. <laughs> and it's important that it hurts. Do you remember what she said here? It's important that it hurts because... Because it, the hurt then makes you understand and love. Yeah. Like, basically, it's, the, it, it's making it worth it, yeah. essentially. It's the work you do for your husband. Yeah. I don't have an actual... I didn't write it down, but you get the gist. Yeah, it, it's... That was the scene where both of us just slowly turned mouth agape looking at each other, just like, oh. I, I, like, quickly picked up my phone to Google, like, okay, so I knew this was based off a book by Rumor Godden. Is Rumor Godden a woman or a man? Because this <laughs> is... Yeah, this is real sus here. Um, but obviously, again, time and place, so we got to just let, like, we address it, that that I, was very fucked. <laughs> I like how you say haven't aged well. Yes. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. But it also gives you an idea of, like, you know, wh who these people are, where they are in their time and place in the world, and in particular, like, the, the idea of a Western culture being kind of smack bang in the middle of a world that's not necessarily theirs. Mm. So it's holding, uh, like, 
having those kind of ideals and those beliefs, I guess, it's holding firm to something that was a long thought tradition of their past country. And so it's like, well, we'll bring that across with us. And, you know, it's not necessarily something that is right uh, mm. in modern day culture, but hey, it's for that time and place. Because the, the parents would have been born in like the late 1800s. So it's, you know. Yeah. And maybe, you know, that's good because if we watch today movies from that time period, like set in that time period, but made today, like a modern film, I wonder if they'd be daring enough to have that casual kind of conversation in them. Do you know what I mean? I don't know. It would be I reckon tough. they'd shy, shy away from oh, it. They for, just, yeah. wouldn't, just wouldn't have it. Yeah. And it's also the thing of like, you know, we're, we're discussing this stuff just to have it, like, you know, put it out there in the open and not saying that... But it's also, you can't just be like, this movie sucks, cancelled. Like, no, you know, no, you've got to no. accept it and exactly. just, yeah. Yeah. So, hmm. anyway. but anyway, so that's 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 the I hasn't aged well aspects. Yeah. Um, what was surprising though about the film is the level of care that goes into it in a in not whitewashing Indian culture in particular. I would have to say that's probably why I love this film. Yeah. But particularly for all the things we've said that haven't aged well. Like, to have that and then to have this film that is half documentary style, um, intercutting with staged footage. So a lot of the film is just life in Bengal, like yeah. life on the river. And what I really love about it is there's long shots of passing like you're on a boat and you see different people and instead of just um, music playing or whatever, the narrator, Harriet, tells us, well... Um, these people, they're fishing, this is how they build their homes, this is what they're doing here, this is how they live their life. And she's explaining each, like, it's coming from a level of understanding about the culture. Yeah. It's not obs- it's not observational. It's very much coming from I understand everything that I see. The, I understand the function of the society yes. that I am living within. And I adored that. It, when they talk about the different um, celebrations and... Hindu festivals and they go into great detail about uh, what they are and yeah. why they're important and how they relate to these characters in their life and going through their times. That, you know, it doesn't really matter that they're different cultures, that they, they, they that she goes and prays to the goddess of wisdom. I oh think God. so, yeah. My Hindu. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, knowledge is not great. But um, I adored that. Mm. And at no point did it feel lengthy no it was very enjoyable yeah it's those parts are almost the like most enjoyable parts of the film because Renoir so cherishes filming it it seems Mm. like he's reveling in being able to capture these interesting vistas and like in such rich color and detail as well and bring these things to the screen that up until that point hadn't really been shown into a western audience before and the fact that it isn't presenting it in a hey look at this isn't this quaint yeah in a condescending kind of well this is what they do over here it's it's it's, no this is their life their culture we respect it we're going to actually present it as such exoticness disappears quickly there is none i would even say it's the exoticness comes from like i was saying like seeing a different world captured on screen not necessarily the like it's not pointing at the culture at all Yeah. yeah And I love there's they use the word they are so tranquil. Mm. I love that word because this one of our characters, Captain John's, just come from World War Two. I don't know. There's all this um, rivalry with the girls, but I don't know. You have the opposite with the culture that we see. The tranquil, you know, they're just at peace and they go about their lives. And, mm. Yeah. 
What's kind of cool as well is that it's it's not like you look at the Criterion cover and things, and it is just a close up of Melanie's face yeah. in that in that weird, wonderful dance dream sequence, the Shiva, uh, no, the Krishna story, um, and you're like, oh, by Renoir, like, oh god, is this gonna be? Uh, uh. But it's like, no, it is. I think it very cleverly presents a Western story within an Eastern setting while not trying to... I'm trying to think of a good way to word this. Like, without, like, it's not Western people trying to tell an Eastern story. It's Western people telling a Western story that happens to be in an Eastern setting. Yes. I absolutely agree with that. Mm. And we are seeing the Eastern world through their eyes, but not, not as a a passing observer they're sort of part of it and they understand it and they're involved yeah down to the point of like when bogey dies the the son dies spoiler alert uh, that idiot should not play with cobras <laughs> um, he he gets what seems to be a traditional hindu funeral yes. like going out into the river and things like it's yeah yeah it's it's they have embraced it to and it doesn't seem like they are there the family's not there because, hey, we were stationed, the dad was stationed here during the war and fuck it, we're just going to stay. It seems like, no, they've actively chosen to start their life and live their life there. It's interesting. We have a little bit of a backstory on John, not Captain John, but John the neighbour. Mr. John. Mr. Not, John. Not Captain John. Mr. John. Um, and sort of why he stayed or why he lives there, but really never anything with the family. You're right. Like It is just other than the fact that the dad runs the jute uh, manufacturing yes. there, but otherwise it's... But the thing is, and it's not even sent... Like, that's what I loved. You get the scene of him at, at work. Captain John goes in and he's like, I wanted to see how you spend your days. And it's... Mm. He's not like, well, I do this because I exploit my workers and I get a shitload of money from it. It's yeah. like, no, he... Li- There's a wonderful monologue where it's he essentially loves the work and he loves the manufacturing he loves the product weirdly Mm. like he's like seeing the men come in with those bundles of that hair like fiber and it's like he feels it's working in a tactile industry where he's actually accomplishing something and it's yeah yeah it's great i like that as well i mean he does have an offhanded line where it's like well that's my sweatshop yeah yeah, he did have that (laughs) it's not all yeah Sunshine and Roses, but I like the way it's depicted. Yeah. I like the way the um, Indian people are depicted as well, and they're not looked down on, really. No. At all. And I think that's why, um, like, this film had a huge influence on Scorsese, for one, like the idea of capturing different cultures with on screen, which I think has a huge factor in what leads him to make certain films, in particular like Kundun or Silence, kind of trying to, you know, film in a different culture. And um, I saw that uh, Scorsese actually um, showed a print of the river to Wes Anderson. Ah. Because he was, you know, this is one of Scorsese's favorite films. And this is what prompted Wes Anderson to be like, wow, uh, the way that Renoir is able to effectively capture and not, like, you know, in a non-exploiting way, make a Western story within an Indian background. Like, I want to do that, which is what led him to make the Darjeeling Limited. And he did he were you saying the music? A lot of the music from Darjeeling Limited is from both uh, it's the river as well as I think he used quite a bit from uh, Sutajit Rai films, which we'll get into him a little bit later in the trivia. Okay. So, yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I suppose uh, we, you mentioned the dance sequence, mm. which I was probably my favourite part of the film. I love that whole. 
um, part, Harriet tells a story, uh, writes a story about Krishna. Mm -hmm. And it's a story about how a beautiful young woman sees a young man in a field. There's probably a bit more between that. But then uh, she falls in love with him, but then she goes home and has to be, uh, she's, her father has arranged a marriage for her. Mm -hmm. And then um, so she abides her father and goes and has the wedding. And then there's the big reveal when she sees her husband, the veil is lifted, and it's the beautiful man that she saw in the forest earlier. And then she um, had dances to express her love for him. Yeah. And as she dances, it goes sort of... A bit dream. What, what would you call it? You know, like dream logic, dream, dream reality. I guess, yeah. like because it's when she glimpsed him in the f field, she she thought he was so beautiful that he had to be Krishna come to life. And then when the veil is un, you know, lifted, and it's that's her new husband, he transforms into Krishna in front of her, and it's like that wonderful, like hyper stylized realism kind of thing of hey, the surrealism, I should surrealism. say, surrealism. Yeah. And then she dances for him to express her love. But uh, we were watching Scorsese's um, sort of explanation interview on this film post, watching it, and he says Renoir didn't have – is it Dolly Trust? Yeah, or? so he's not able to actually it's – a, it's a locked off camera essentially. So in order to get close-ups, the dancer, Melanie, our dancer, had to move forward – close up to the camera in order to get a close-up shot of her face and then move back to get the body to get the dance moves and it's like spielberg blocking where it's like we're not going to actually move the camera we're going to have our, our actors move within the frame to change the blocking to mm. some degree yeah super cool yeah <laughs> it's great um in terms of like the actual narrative how do, how did you find like because we're talking about all these little little sequences and flourishes that happen throughout the film. But how did the main narrative work for you? The, the idea of the, the jealousy romance of a young woman, like a young girl kind of being smitten, and then the, essentially the rivalry between Harriet and Valerie. Did, did, did you engage with that at all? Or did, did, was it kind of like a, yeah, it is what it is. Like, it's not. Yes, 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 and no. I really liked the story. I felt very engaged with the, the family mm -hmm. um, and I really enjoyed being in this film and where it was shot and all that. Um, did I find Harriet to be a great pr protagonist? Yes and no. I like when she wrote her poems and um, I like that she was a teenager and she yeah. was a bit adolescent and emotional and... A bit silly with her bouquet. Um, she's she's a teenager, yeah. She's a teenager, and I it like presented that about as it. such, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. How did you feel about it? I I I enjoyed it. I think as a kind of entryway thing, and like I said, it, it's that very kind of old style forties, fifties Hollywood. Like, well, we've got a nice little romance story for you here, and you know, it's. But I think it's an effective one, the idea of, like like I was saying before, like having a Western story set within that kind of world. And, yeah, it it's great. It works perfectly for that because it is not a overbearing story. It's one that we've seen before and we kind of know the tropes and the trappings of. So it's like that's fine for us to go through on. Um, for me, it was just the performances that kind of dragged it down and didn't make me kind of connect with it as much as I would have hoped. Yeah. 
And that is because not everyone was actors, is that right? Yeah, it turns out that very few people in this film were actually professional actors. You had uh, the mother and the father, who was um, uh, Nora Swinburne and uh, Esmond Knight, as well as uh, Mr. John and um, Valerie. They were all sort of actors that would, you know, had worked before and they'd go on to continue working. But for the most part, uh, our main two, like essentially Captain John and Harriet, were not actors. There was some pretty poor line delivery. Yeah. And cringeworthy. And it's it's not just that, but both of them kind of seem to be uncomfortable in front of the camera at points, almost. Like, you could see them just being like, what, what do I do with my hands? <laughs> like, what, what am I doing? I, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, they just yeah. kind of, they seem very still and awkward. Lots of stuff like, I will run into a scene and then just stop bang on my mark, because yeah. that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm not... It's like more... Yeah, the... I know what you mean. And it's off-putting. Yeah, they're concentrating on getting the lines out so perfect that they're not actually believing what they're saying, it seems. Yeah. And there's something about the way they talk. I don't think even back then people talk like that. It's because it's a, it's a film, isn't it? People no. Film I, talk. No, I, I so desperately want to believe people talk like, I'm happy. Oh, oh out. Why do you have to be so cruel? Cruel. <laughs> Punctuality. <laughs> like just adding extra. Yeah. Really making a meal out of the syllables. Yes. <laughs> like, it's so horribly painful. I love it though. It, it makes me it so. I love it too. But it, I don't engage and immerse myself. I'm see, like, I, <laughs> see, but I just. It's not funny. I just view it as, especially in the fleeting moments when Harriet would do it, I, I viewed it as her trying to seem more adult than she is. And it's like, I'm putting on an air of sophistication and, you know, I'm a suave and sophisticated. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Would you like a cucumber sandwich? <laughs> like, oh. But it is, that's the unfortunate thing. And I, I get, it's admirable for Renoir to go for people that he thinks are fitting for the characters that aren't professional actors, but I think in the actual execution of it, it made it, it's what led to the disconnect for me. And the fact that it is both Captain John and Harriet are two leads being so not good. Yes. <laughs> I wonder if he picked Captain John because the actor had lost a leg. Yeah, yeah. So he had actually lost a leg in World War II, so it's like very fitting. And I think that is it because there are the moments when he's like lamenting the loss of. Uh, yeah, but you're like, oh, that's actually something that probably no other actor could bring to the role. Yeah. And for him to actually bring that reality, and it's like, okay, in those scenes it kind of works, but then when he's going to be like, hey, kid, you want to dance? And you're Little like, kitten. Ugh. Yeah, just yeah. doesn't quite connect for me, I'd no, say. <laughs> I agree. Um, but in saying that, I do, and I'm skipping to the end now. Yeah, yeah. When the girls get their letter from... Captain John. So Captain John leaves, presumably, mm-hmm. to go back to America. Um, and Melanie, Valerie and Harriet are left heartbroken. To continue on with their lives. To yeah. continue on with their lives. And they all get a, a letter from Dr... Doctor. He wishes. Captain- Do- I wish there was Dr. John. That'd be fucking sweet. Some sweet bass lines happening. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Captain John. And then they, like, feverishly open the letter and start reading it. And then um, the mother suddenly gives birth to um, gives birth to a baby mm-hmm. is what happens and all three girls drop the letters simultaneously and just 
move on and yeah, not they, worry about it. They're anymore. not interested. Life goes on, and yeah. that's kind of the beauty of the title. The river. The yeah. river, like it just keeps on flowing. It's the metaphor for life, and you know, and that's what's kind of great about. It's not great about the sun dying, but it's that thing of, you know, well like Harriet laments like what are we doing we're sitting around the dinner table eating like potatoes and peas and sausages like pretending this didn't happen and, and the mother has to explain to her like we're not pretending this didn't happen but oh it's like we're, yeah we're acting we're going on as if nothing ever happened and it's like we're not pretending nothing ever happened but we are going on mm. that's what life is you have to move forward you have to keep going you have to keep flowing like a river and yeah you know what I'm not a psychologist but if if you were to support a child losing a sibling that would be the way to say it when we're not forgetting but we are going on yeah i love that that's all we can do is to keep going yeah yeah and it's we did sort of skim over the sun dying a little bit, but uh, I've, I think I know why. Chris uh, squirmed in his seat a lot during the I watching of this film. I fucking hate snakes. <laughs> I, I really fucking hate snakes. I grew up around a lot of snakes in the country yes. and think I fucking hate snakes. So, so. <laughs> the uh, bo- bogey, best name for a kid ever, uh, is really interested in lizards and things like that. We introduced with him holding a turtle upside down. Yes. <laughs> jump in with the most beautiful part of this film is that bogey has a little friend who jumps Mm. over the wall he's a little indian boy and they don't care about anything like you know different cultures they're just someone to play with and they love Mm. playing together and they're interested in living things and yeah like uh, snake like you know bugs and lizards and turtles and cobras yes and we have bogey at the beginning of the film watch a snake charmer with his uh flute and the the cobras dancing uh, and Bogey at the end of the song runs to the cobra, duh, duh, duh. and we're like, "Oh, I bet we know what's going to happen He's, later and, in the film." Because then it's like in the next scene, he gives all of his turtles to his sister to be like, I, "I'm interested in cobras now." Yes, and there's a cobra in the back of the garden that Bogey and his friend are trying to play with, and he gets his own little flute and plays to it. And this this cobra is not happy because it's a fucking wild cobra. And Chris. <laughs> Chris watching this feels like no, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's the thing of yeah, and it's I think what added to it is because this is a 1950s film, and I'm like, it's like in Indiana Jones in Razor Lost Ark when Indy falls down and the cobra comes up. It's like yes. you can see the pane of glass. It's like yes. no, that's fine. Yes. Whereas this is 1950s, I'm like, oh, there was no safety <laughs> precautions no. on the set here. No, that's just a fucking wild cobra. Yes. Like, no, thank you. No thanks. Yes, and, and the, yeah, and it's more that thing of like when when we were in the country, like my it's you your parents sit you down and have a ma- you know what the fuck to do with snakes, like you are told, like especially here in Australia, because everyone will kill you, yeah. <laughs> and it's like this is the ABCs of snakes and like what to do if you see like all of that stuff, and it's like come on, kid. Like, like if only Bogey had that. And it, it's it seems like the the only conversation that was had was like, well, Bogey, if you see a cobra, come tell mummy and daddy. Mm. That's it. And it's like, no, 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 no. Yeah, that kid needs some education. Yeah, too late. He got killed yes. by a cobra. By a cobra. And then we have uh, a very emotional scene with Harriet discovering his body. Um, but then we cut to his funeral, and mm. I, I mentioned this to you when we were watching that it's it's I think there's a loss there where they could have shown Harriet running back to tell the family, the family having you know the emotions that you would have, and 
I remember thinking that's a shame that they've just jumped straight to the funeral, like you've missed all that good storytelling. But the thing that saved it for me was the dinner scene where she says, how can we just go on and pretending this hasn't happened? And then that mum says the line of we're not pretending it hasn't happened but we are going on i thought oh well that was yeah, the, that there's was our scene good. for yeah, us yeah. yeah um because i have a feeling it, it's because this was based off of, of a semi-autobiographical book um uh, rumi godden's little brother wasn't killed by a cobra or anything <laughs> um in fact our uh, bogey the character of bogey was actually based off of her uh sis- younger sister nancy and uh, coincidentally, Nancy's son, Robert Foster, played Bogey in the film. Oh, yeah. That's so, cool. um, but yeah, it's that thing of I, I, I think I rationaled that kind of that leap in storytelling of like we go from her, the discovery of the dead body to straight to the funeral, in that that's that's kind of how your memory works as a kid, where it's like key core moments, like the thing that matters for Harriet is finding that body having the funeral and then that important conversation with the parents it's not like the the time in between i yeah. guess and it's blue those, by blue yeah yeah so it kind of works in that regard yeah no i thought it was good and like i said i was like oh that's a shame but as soon as that scene came i'm like no that's much better mm. um moving away from the story i have a question for you chris yeah can you explain what technicolor is it's something i see all the time uh, I never really understood what it was. Yeah, Technicolor was one of the first um, film, like a uh, color film companies, essentially. Um, so it's a company. Yes, it was a it, not a company. Well, it, it is now, but it was that thing of it was one of the first um, color processings for film. Essentially, um, I've just quickly looked. <laughs> <laughs> Technicolor is a series of color motion picture processes, the first version dating in 1916. Uh, followed by several versions throughout then. So basically, it, it's Technicolor is basically the color process for film. Like the colorization process and the color stock for film was making it Technicolor and it was only essentially like, hey, Technicolor stock has these XYZ elements of it. It's not like a full spectrum and thing. Like, yeah. Okay. So, so Te- Things not- like Technicolor, like uh, Wizard of Oz was Technicolor and things. So Gone with the Wind, Technicolor. For like. some reason, I always thought Technicolor meant filmed in black and white but then painted later. No, no. But it's actually capturing the colour. It's actually capturing the colour. Uh, or like the, the film, the way that the film is processed is making it so it captures colour, essentially. Okay. Cool. I'm not sure I understand, but I think I do. <laughs> <laughs> but we think yeah. that then... But we think that there may have been some painting of... Yeah, there definitely was. So it was. Um, this was uh, Renoir's first film ever in colour. And so it was filmed on Technicolor stock. But then um, because he wanted to make it such a rich, vibrant colour film, they ended up uh, spending five months in the post, in the processing period, actually hand painting and ex- like exaggerating certain colours. Wow. Um, and I think like you very definitely pointed out like each of the three our three main women have a different color scheme to them mm. and that is kind of i think making those greens and those yellows and those blues really pop especially against the kind of earth and setting of the film like yeah you need to have that be vibrant otherwise what's the point yeah and it oh it's so spectacular to look at mm. and a perfect place to do it yeah it, it is a gorgeous looking film yeah it really is yeah I love um, when they do Diwali and they do Holly and the colours, um, yeah, 
Just that scene by the riverbank where they're throwing all the colours around. It's, it's just beautiful and it doesn't really serve a purpose in the film other than to just present the culture. culture. And it just lets... It, the camera just slowly sits and slowly pans and just yeah. lets you soak it in. And no, at no point are you bored. No. It's wonderful. Yeah. This film was... I was anticipating this, especially with the voice the Harriet voiceover early on. Like, you'd made the comment, um, like... Oh, this really is going to be. Is this going to be a case of tell not show? Yeah. Which it starts that way. Yeah, yeah. It but, explains the characters at yeah. the beginning. Which is it's very much a product of it being a book. I think Nan was our yes. Nan. This is who this is, and this is us. It's like yeah, it's really leaning heavily on that, but then it ends up kind of slowly transitioning Moving away, away from, from, that. from that. And I think we were both very worried at the beginning, like oh god, this is gonna this is what this is going to be. And it's like, no, I was never bored watching this movie. I love when I'm so pessimistic and then I get surprised. <laughs> yeah, you get kind of so turned around by frequently happens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Welcome to the Criterion Collection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, did you have anything else on the, that we haven't hit on with the film yet? Or do we... No, move... Yeah, go on to trivia. There were other things, but... Well, before we get on to trivia, I was going to say, uh, do we... Do you need a little, a little bit more time to think up your tagline? Look, my tagline this week isn't good. I really, when you like a film, I think it's harder yep. to come up with a good tagline because you don't want to poo-poo on it. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. Like, it, it's funny. It's more, it's easier to make fun of a movie with a tagline than there is to. Yeah. So mine is just basic. Three young women discover first love in Bengal. Oh, that's nice. That's actually like a legit proper tagline. Mm. Yeah. Better than the. Will you tell us yours and then tell us the original? Oh yeah, I'll, I'll get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, mine was uh, the river. Sometimes it flows. I fucked it up. <laughs> fucked it up. The river. Sometimes it flows through us all. Oh, you are the king of taglines. You've got my vote. <laughs> and then uh, we were like, oh, what's the actual tagline? Like, what what do they actually write for this? And it's for audiences that like the red shoes, Henry V, and Hamlet. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. It's right. very much selling it to that Powell and Pressburger, that like Laurence Olivier, the British theatre audience. It's highbrow. It, yeah, it knows who it's aiming its audiences and who it's aiming for. It's so. interesting because I would like to see if the Criterion poster for the river is Melanie's face. We know that, right? But what I would love to see original advertisements for this film were they based on Melanie? Were they based on the girls? Like. Um, quickly, let's have a look. Let's have a quick look. Yeah, quickly, just yeah. There we go. So it's Melanie. Yeah, and wow. it's kind of in in that almost dance thing. And down the bottom, you've got the two. You've got the sitar player and things. And it's not. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because even the criterion, the photo of Melanie. Even if I look at that now, I would not get the film. I would not think of the film as being what it is about. A Western story. Yeah, a Western story in yeah. an Indian setting. Well, that's what I was so worried about not having seen this before. I was like, oh, God, is this going to be a white people attempting to do yeah, a... Yeah, yeah. Essentially what ends up, like, you know, is this them doing the Krishna story or something? Yeah, like, yeah, what, what, yeah. What's happening here? Yeah. And it ends up being really nice. Yeah. Um, speaking of uh, not knowing what to expect from the film, uh, do we want to hear what Claire yes. thinks this film is yes. about? Yes, I'm so excited. All right, it is time for another episode of Claire's 
What's this film about? All right. So as usual, you're going to get your few bits of information here. The title of the film is The River. Oh, English. It is... No, oh. Oh, it is fuck. a French film okay. from 1951, directed by Jean Renoir. Sounds like a painter. He is the grandson of Renoir, the painter. Oh, okay. <laughs> he. <laughs> okay, so artistic. Okay, so 1950s artistic river. Hmm. Can I have? Can I buy a vow? No. Um, can, can I have a character? Like, is there a, is there a male or a female protagonist? I will tell you that the film is based on Ruma Godin's novel. Yeah. That doesn't happen. And it's about... There, there are three young women. Three young women. Okay. That's your, so, that's your buying a vow. <laughs> Thank you. So there are three women and it starts like with them as being children, but like back in 51. So they're being children in World War One, and they like play on the farm, but they're all got like their families are split up because their dads are off fighting at war. Then a few years later, they go to school I don't know, uni- oh, two of them go to university, mm. which is like a big deal at yeah. the time. One of them doesn't. So they like separate and then they come back together as adults and because of a tragedy where one of those fathers that came back from the war has finally died and then they like reconnect and f- like the one that didn't go to university feels really um, – almost in a weird way superior to the other two that have come back because like she feels like she's done the right moral thing and she's been looking after the families at home on the farm and then they um meet up by the river have it out and then they're done and that's why it's called the river yeah wow (laughs) yeah yeah and and that's (laughs) why it's the river that's why it's the river (laughs) that's why it's the river (laughs) They have it out. Yep. They, they have it out, and that's why it's the river. Oh, that was magical. Yep. Thank, thank you, Claire. Thank you, Claire. That was, that was fantastic. <laughs> that's kind of closer to, like, a Bronte novel or something, or like a Jane Austen as opposed to a, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. <laughs> um, but on that note, do you want to hear a little bit of trivia about the film? Sure do. Uh, so the film is nominated for two BAFTAs, uh, Best British Film and Best Film from Any Source. It was also listed by the Carhe du Cinema and National Board of Review as one of the top ten films of the year, and it won the International Award at the 1951 Venice Film Festival, where it was also nominated for the Golden Lion. So, yeah. Um, this is where the trivia is going to get interesting. Mm-hmm. I think I told you that I, I, there was, I've got some interesting sto- backstory on the creation of this film. Mm-hmm. So here we go. When producer Kenneth McElDowney... McElDowney? Yeah, that'll work. A success, he was a successful florist and real estate agent in Los Angeles. He complained to his wife, who was an MGM publicist, about one of her studio's films. She dared him to do better. So, he sold their house and the floral shops, and from 1947 to 1951, worked to produce this film. 
It opened in New York to a record 34-week run <laughs> at reserve seat pricing on, and made it onto several top 10 lists, as we'd mentioned. Uh, he then returned to the real estate and florist business and never made a film again. <laughs> That is amazing, that story. That he's like, his wife works for MGM as a publicist, and he's like, well, that movie wasn't very good. And she's like, oh, fucking, you do better. Yeah. And he's like, okay, I'll, honey, I sold the house and the business because I want to prove you wrong. <laughs> How spiteful is that marriage? I love that. That's following through. I want to see someone almost make a movie about that. That, that yeah. would be incredible. Um, but that just cracked me up. I thought that was wonderful. Um, and something else I kind of teased earlier. Uh, this film was instrumental in launching the careers of Shitajit Rai, who was an assistant on the film. Uh, we will go on to seek, watch quite a few of his films later in the collection. Uh, he is one of, if not the most influential, important director in Indian cinema. Uh, the Apu trilogy uh, just is incredible. Pantham Pachali, great, great stuff. Um, so he worked as an assistant on this film and uh, struck up a friendship with Renoir, and this basically taught him... This was his film school, essentially, was working on this film. Uh, he also met uh, Sabrata Mitra, who would then go on to become his cinematographer. Both of them were working as assistants on this film. Awesome. Yeah. Thought that that was pretty fantastic, mm. like, from little humble beginnings. Mm. Uh, this is weird to me. Uh, Jean Renoir originally wanted Marlon Brando to play Captain John. What? How old would Brando be? Um, he'd probably be in his early 30s. I would have preferred him. With a 15-year-old girl, though? <laughs> Creepy. Well, I'm pretty Creepy. sure that guy was in his early 30s. Yeah, I know, but just, it's, Brando is so much creepier. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. He, he's a better actor, he's more commanding, he's more intimidating, and just be I'm scarier. I'm thinking, like, what is it, in um, Streetcar Named Desire? <laughs> Stella! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's sort of around this time, actually, so, uh. yeah. Um, I'd already mentioned that who... Um, Bogey was based on. Uh, the characters of mother and father were actually played by real-life husband and wife, Nora Swinburne and Osmond Knight. Aww, that's nice. That's cute. Um, also, during the film when we were watching, I had kind of said um, I would hold it for the recording who Valerie was. Because yes. I was like, she looks incredibly, incredibly familiar. What, like, wh where do I know her from? She's Laura Dern's mother. No. <laughs> She's not Diane Ladd. <laughs> she I wish. She like Laura Dern. She kind of does. Uh, but no, her name is uh, Adrian Corey. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm like, where the fuck do I know her from? Where do I know her from? Uh, she is in A Clockwork Orange as Mrs. Alexander, the woman in the red jumpsuit who... Has the dicks everywhere? No, that's who I thought initially. But then it's like, no, no, no. She's the... I had a wife. She was raped. Oh. Like that woman. Oh, yeah. The woman who essentially gets Alex sent to prison. Is like it? that one. Yeah. And oh. the husband ends up in the wheelchair with um, uh, Darth Vader as his bodyguard. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, yeah that, so she plays Mrs. Alexander in the, in the red jumpsuit and with the scissors and the ball the, gag yeah, and the tape. Chopping her yeah. things off. The, yeah. So that's Valerie <laughs> in <Hi>. this film. <laughs> I'm going to have to rewatch that. Yeah. But it's like 20 years later. Yes, yeah, yeah. Oh, 20 years exactly later. Ah, so. Look at me. Mm. But um, the only other little bit of trivia that I had that the, is that the film was included in Roger Ebert's list of great movies. But uh, otherwise... It should. I yeah. really, really, really like this film. Nice. 
Um, so, still available from Criterion as a one-disc Blu-ray, one-disc DVD, also available on the Criterion channel to stream, and it comes with an introduction to the film from 1962 by director Jean Renoir, Around the River, a 2008 documentary by Arnaud Mandagaran about the making of the film, <laughs> uh, interview with filmmaker Martin Scorsese from 2004, audio interview with producer Ken Meckledowney from 2000. Jean Renoir, A Passage Through India, a new video essay by writer Paul Ryan, as well as trailer and the usual booklet and essays that Criterion usually do. Mm-hmm. So a good little addition, this one. Yeah, lots of things. For a nice little film. Yeah. Hmm. But I guess that'll wrap us up for this week's episode, looking at the river. Yep. We're all, we've got, uh, got some fun shit in store next week. Oh, yes. What's next week? Next episode. Uh, I keep saying next week. Next fortnight. Uh, our next episode is uh, time for some Gus Van Sant. Mm. We have My Own Private Idaho. Yes, which I haven't seen. You've never seen it? No. Okay. This is going to be interesting then. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I almost want to be like, what do you think it's about? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't wait to hear what Claire says. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, tune in in a fortnight's time for that. Um, or you can join us over on Patreon, where you can hear from us uh, a little bit more regularly with uh, some audio commentaries and the new miniseries, uh, Great Scott. <laughs> <laughs> Best name ever. Yeah, where we're, um, oh, man, we, we recorded the first real episode of that, um, non-intro-y one uh, the other day. And man, it was fucking tough. Uh, if you've never seen Ridley Scott's first film, The Duelist, wow, people say that Tony is style over substance. Yikes. Okay. <laughs> Let me just do a set piece, set piece, set piece film with, I know who I'll cast as Frenchman, Harvey Keitel. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm from France here. It's, it's tough. Wow. We, we had little to talk. It's gonna, yeah, I'm not selling it well, <laughs> but it's fun. But, um, yeah, so head over to patreon.com slash Criterion Quest. Uh, you can hear Lee and I doing audio commentaries on How to Train Your Dragon and all sorts of fun things. Uh, we're about to start a new set of, tri- of commentaries over there. But, um, yeah, any support helps us uh, keep this show going, get new equipment, pay for the server costs, and we greatly appreciate it. Um, otherwise, you can send us an email at thecriterionquest at gmail.com. What? Instagram? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what is our Instagram? Hang on. Um, you can find us on Linktree slash Criterion Quest. Yeah, Lee's set up all of the all so of our stuff there. Everything's there, but you can also find us on Instagram at the Criterion Quest. Or oh, you can follow me on Twitter at Criterion Quest. I've just taken that over as my own personal one now. But yeah. yeah. But otherwise, we'll be back in a fortnight's time with uh a little bit of Keanu Reeves entering the collection. Keanu. Keanu and River Phoenix. So uh, tune in for that. But otherwise, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, for this week's episode, I'm Chris. I'm Lee. We'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>